This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. As Tuesday evening goes, this was a busy one for Manchester United. Cristiano Ronaldo's departure from the club was confirmed, swiftly followed by rumours and then an official statement in which the Glazer family, namely brothers Avram and Joel, outlined their intention to seek external investment into the football club, including a potential full sale. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Harry Robinson and my co-host Jack Tate is with me as always to discuss these big pieces of news, but that's not all. Also, on today's show, we look ahead to United Women's Game at Old Trafford on the 3rd of December. To do so, we're excited to be joined by United centre-back Millie Turner, goal scorer in Sunday's brilliant 3-2 comeback win at the Emirates. After the year that I've had, been through what I've been through, and to come out of the other end and score at the Emirates and then to go on and win the game is such an amazing feeling and honestly, it's probably one that I'll never ever forget. We'll also speak to Adam Millington. Adam covers the WSL, the Lionesses and the men's game for BBC Sport, the iNewspaper and many other outlets. He's a top journalist who'll give us some great insight into Mark Skinner's side and he'll also give us his thoughts on how a change in ownership could affect United women. It's just a massive statement and shows that United are able to cope with the big teams and to properly call themselves a title or European contender. Let's give you our reaction to the Glazers' statement first, then we'll build up to the women's fixture at Old Trafford in the middle of the show before reflecting on Ronaldo's departure and the World Cup so far near the end of the episode. Jack, this this news came out of the blue, really. It was a remarkable day of, of football football stories, beginning with Saudi Arabia's incredible victor over Argentina, which we can talk at the end of the show. Then the Ronaldo news, which was less shocking, less surprising, but still very significant and would dominate the world headlines for, for days had it happened at any other point. And then came first rumours and a report from Sky Sports and then The Athletic. And then suddenly out of nowhere, an official statement that the Glazer family well, have, in essence, put Manchester United up for sale. It's it's massive. Yeah, I felt, I got to say, I felt a bit sorry for the uh, for the United under-23s. They were playing a Papa John's trophy game yeah. and all the tweets in the United account were kind of sandwiched in between we've released Ronaldo from his contract and the Glazers are potentially selling the club and then you had this <laughs> penalty shootout win in the Papa John's trophy for the, the 23s. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the Ronaldo news was was expected. We we just didn't really know exactly when it was going to come. And I've got to say, I'm surprised it happened so quickly. But like you said, we we knew it was going to happen. It seemed like the natural 
kind of course that things would take after the Ronaldo interview. But the Glazer news, I mean, it dropped completely out of nowhere. I was just saying to you before we were recording, I was just in a, in a work meeting and got out and just, you know, then started scrolling through Twitter and, and couldn't believe the reports I was I was seeing when at first when it was just Sky Sports, I was wondering, you know, how much truth is there could yeah. be to it? Sky Sports aren't always the most reliable, but then, you know, more sources came out and then the official statement. But I think the biggest takeaway is this is the most positive step we've had about ownership in, you know, basically ever since the Glazers took over, really, but yeah. also very hesitant to get my hopes up too far because if there's one thing the Glazers have consistently done, it's <laughs> not deliver on promises. Yeah, and that's the truth. Am I giddy yet? Absolutely not. And this is something that should make me giddy, but it's for a whole host of reasons that I'm not. And the key reason I'm not is because I can't get swept up in it yet for exactly what you've just said in 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 protecting my own emotions. If I did get swept up in it, I don't know how I'd feel. Uh, there's a bit of a smile breaking out on my face, but it's it's the effort the United fans have put in long before we were of an age to be getting involved in these things, long before I started getting involved in, in protests against the club's ownerships before we were wearing green and gold scarves or whatever in our teens. This would be the reward for 17 years, well, 80, 17, 18 years of hard work. And it is a remarkable sudden change from within the last 12 months, insistency from the Glazer family that they were willing to invest in United. They wanted to achieve success, all these various words. What do they mean? Not not much really, but they were publicly insisting United was not for sale at all. As, as recently as this summer, when Jim Ratcliffe kind of announced his intention to at least look at the possibility of buying Manchester United. So it is an incredible story, but I think there's lots of people like us who don't want to get too caught up in it yet. And as I said to, to mates, I, I won't be excited about this until... I see the day it really, really happens, um, which I think is fair, but it's worth considering where this has come from. And I think there's loads of potential reasons here, aren't there? That first, if it follows two things very closely, Liverpool and their owners, FSG, putting them up for sale very recently and the Ronaldo departure are the two most recent things. But there's also the sale of Chelsea and the number of potential interested buyers there in summer. There's the realisation that the Super League doesn't look like it's going to happen or at least in the form it was originally intended and the constant discussion around the need for massive investment, not in the squad, but in the stadium and the training ground. And you just get the sense that, and I'd never believe this would happen. You get the sense that they think they've milked the cow enough and this is time to go home. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a really unprecedented time in English football in terms of ownership of the big clubs. If you include the Chelsea sale from yeah. last summer, you've now had, you know, three of the the, the big six and well, add, in Liverpool and United, probably the biggest of those add, two. And add Newcastle in as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, four massive clubs in English football potentially being sold in the, the space of, I guess it could end up being maybe, let's say, a year and a half. I mean, that yeah. is unprecedented. And in Liverpool and United, you've got probably the two biggest, you know, being sold at the exact same time, which is, I mean, it's going to be crazy. And it wouldn't surprise you to see the price of both clubs kind of being driven up by the other one also being up for sale at the same time. In terms of what has caused it, like you, you mentioned the sale of Liverpool and the Ronaldo interview, which have obviously been the two kind of recent events. I have, I, I struggle to believe that the Ronaldo interview made a, a massive oh, no, difference. I don't, I don't just think because that's made a difference, but I think it's, it's worth remembering that say they had been interested post Super League debacle in, in selling United, that Ronaldo's presence might have delayed right. them being open to a sale and now his future absence 
there's no longer that that holding them back because Ronaldo brought a, a huge amount of money. Yeah, it, and and this is it's sort of the straw that broke the camel's back in in that sense. And potentially, like yeah. you said, it, we don't know that. No, but potentially. But I think the other one, like the, just everything that we know about the Glazers, how they've ever run Man United, their motivations for owning the club, and the way that they've run it for the last fifteen years, it's all been. Just about you know how much can like you said how much can we milk the cow how much money can we take out of the club and and keep it running to a point where commercially it's still uh, this this giant kind of operation and so I can only think that it's also a financial piece that is making them make this decision. I saw some reports that it, it is potentially due to you know the chance of a big kind of stock market downturn in the next couple of years, meaning that they think this is basically the, the most value they're ever going to get from selling the club, yeah. which seems plausible like you mentioned the Super League not coming to fruition maybe they just feel that this is whether the, the valuation of United being sold would go go down or not it's just the the kind of opportunities for like commercial growth maybe are are becoming a little bit saturated maybe that is part of it yeah. it also wouldn't surprise me if this is in some way coordinated with, with FSG maybe not that they kind of decided it together but I think it's the timing it doesn't Speak feel like volumes. a coincidence to me that Exactly, that two American owners, very similar in sort of how they approach running the football clubs, have both done this within a few weeks of each other. Well, because there are American businessmen who have the experience of American sport who are shocked by how little Premier League clubs sell for. And the, so the football world is shocked at how much Premier League clubs sell for, well, at least the, the very largest big six. So the Glazer family supposedly value United at, at five or six billion could demand as much as nine. Obviously when they publicly say they're demanding as much as nine, that's to try to drive the price up, but five or six, even say it's four, it's a massive amount of money. But I think from the American side, a lot of businessmen think there is enormous untapped potential there because you think about what if the football landscape changes? So not even necessarily if it was a super league, but what if the TV deals change so that, Manchester United as a club control the TV rights for Manchester United. Suddenly, the potential revenue just erupts. So there, there are people who look at these clubs and think, "Wow, yeah, we can, we can turn United from a five billion club into a ten billion club within five years." So there will be people out there interested, as they were interested with Chelsea, as they'll be interested in Liverpool. But I think for us as fans, it's about thinking what what's the next step. For us, and I think there has to be massive caution. And I think when we spoke about Jim Ratcliffe's interest, we we kind of voiced our concerns with this. I don't think any owner should be welcomed with open arms into Manchester United. It always, in fact, it just leaves a sour taste that we have to kind of celebrate this at all. But any interested owner in United has to have restrictions placed on them because this was the key problem with the Glazers in 2005. And you you think you can take things for granted. But you can't. Just look at Burnley, for example, to see how easy it is for a Glazers 2.0 to come in. Another club who have just in the last two years been bought by American owners with a leveraged buyout, meaning that basically they've effectively bought it for nothing and, and will benefit from its its sale. And the key here, I think, is is what you raised. It's completely unprecedented for the two biggest clubs in English football to be available for sale simultaneously. I can't think of any time in history that that's happened. And it's a massive opportunity for investors, yeah, but also for supporters. And the key here will be for the Manchester United Sports Trust and for the Liverpool Sports Trust, mainly the spirit of Shankly, to come together 
and fans of the two clubs need to come together and present a, a united force which ensures that any new ownership comes with a fan stake, a 50 plus one power on on key decisions such as the club name, the badge, the stadium, the kit colour. Things that, again, you think you can take for granted. You can't. They are absolutely not. People can change these things at any point. The power that football owners have is unbelievable. And I think that's the key next stage, that this is not the end of the process against the Glazers. This has to be the start and it's a massive opportunity for fans. It's a huge inflection point for the history and, and the future of, of football ownership in England and around the, around Europe. Like it's, it's a completely unprecedented situation and that provides a lot of potential danger, a lot of potential pitfalls for both clubs to fall into because this could so easily go wrong. And we've talked before that one of the dangers with selling the club and it being put under new ownership is that the kind of people that can afford to pay, you know, like five, six, seven billion pounds for yeah. Man United or Liverpool, many of them are not the kind of people that we would want as owners of Man United. So it presents a lot of danger in that sense, but it also presents a massive opportunity that if United and Liverpool can get this right, it is an, it is a chance to set kind of a new standard, a new precedent for what football ownership in, in England is going to look like for the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. I, yeah. I don't think that there's ever been a time when kind of fan input, fan power can have such a big, a big impact basically on, on how the ownership of a club is going to run. That's not to say that they can dictate everything, but the fact that this can be somewhat of a joint effort between United and Liverpool, I think it would send a huge message to the way, for the, the way that football fan ownership in England is going to run if these two groups can effectively make sure there are those structures in place to hold owners accountable. Because the problem is, it's far too easy for owners to come in, you know, use all the right language, say all the right things. But if there are no actual accountability structures in place, they literally can, can run the club however they see fit. And then there's no one that but can the, take it away from them. We've experienced that ourselves. Yeah, and the key here is that we know now that this government at least, and we'll see there'll be a general election in Britain in 2025 at the latest, but you would expect it won't be until then. So not for a while yet. This will be a debate at the general election because football yeah. issues are a vote winner for both parties, but specifically Labour and Keir Starmer, who is a, a publicly large and is a genuine football fan. Unfortunately, he's an Arsenal fan, but that's not going to come soon enough. This will be a drawn out process, but you wouldn't think it will take until 2025, whatever the, the solution is. So that's not going to come quick enough. We know this government isn't going to put through uh, legislation around this. They've failed to do that. We know the Premier League isn't going to stand up and do anything. We know the FA isn't going to stand up and do anything. So any restrictions on the power of owners has to come from United support. And it has, well, yeah, to, to, be, to be fair, when, when it's come, when push has come to shove, it has come down to that. And United have, as, as a fan base, have managed to do that with the Super League. There was one supporter or fan base that got the Super League called off and it was Manchester United. And Chelsea helped massively with that. And they kind of kick things off. But the United's protest for the Liverpool match stopped the Super League from happening, even though it had already been called off from them, and then forced Edward Wood to resign, even if he took many months to do it. Um, we better move on. Any any final thoughts? I, I think just intrigued to see where this goes, but you know, I I think we've all we've all been United fans for long enough to understand that this is A gonna take a long time and B something that we yeah. have to be very wary of as well. Yeah. It's going to be drawn out. You can you can have that one for free, but it's hope, isn't it? Yeah, and that is a very very significant 
unexpected, enormous piece of progress. So we can have a smile at that. There, there's light at the end of the tunnel, finally, which I don't think has really been there for Absolutely. quite a while. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's turn our attention to United Women now. We'll talk about the impact of a potential takeover on the women's side at the club in a bit, but let's welcome our guest first. Adam Millington is with us. He covers the women's game for the BBC, the I newspaper, Reuters and several other outlets. Thank you for joining us, Adam. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing good, thanks. Good. Um, Sunday's win over Arsenal, sorry, Saturday's win over Arsenal for United. 3-2 in the end. United went 1-0 up, but then... Coming from behind late on, 2-1 down with two late headers, included one in added time in front of a, a strong United travelling support, actually. In more as a big picture stuff, this is a massive result for the team. What Tell us what it means. Yeah, I think it's a massive statement for the team. They've always been like knocking on the door for top four. And uh, I think journalists have loved every single season putting out the whole, is it going to be a top four sort of things? And United are in the top four and then just haven't been able to keep it up consistently for the whole season and haven't really had the results against the bigger teams. It was a really good start to the season, but when they came up against Chelsea, they lost, they didn't play too badly, but I think that was a bit of a reality check. And then this Arsenal game comes up against who I would say are probably the best team in England at the moment, maybe the best team in Europe, and to beat them at the Emirates in front of that bumper crowd, now yes, there's the massive away end, which will have helped. It's just a massive statement and shows that United are able to cope with the big teams and to properly call themselves a title or European contender because in the past, they were just one of those other teams. Had a very good chance, but weren't really in the same level as Arsenal, Chelsea, City. And they've probably been helped a bit by City's real downfall since the summer. So United have taken that position and they've assumed it really well. For more on the win at Arsenal first, we'll talk about other stuff after. Let's go talk to Millie Turner, who's 85th minute header for United, level things up at the Emirates before Alessia Russo's 91st minute winner. Delighted to be joined by Millie Turner now. Millie, it's been a couple of days since the late winner at Arsenal, but tell me, is that buzz still there? Yeah, the buzz is 100% still there. I don't think it's going to go for a, a long time, to be honest. I, I said after the game it was euphoria, and I stick by that. <laughs> <laughs> your goals, the late win is one thing, but your goal as well. Having had the year that you've had, what a moment. A, just as a goal, it doesn't get more satisfying than in off the crossbar, but also that moment for you must have been pretty special. I know there was still another goal to get after that, but it must have been pretty great. Yeah, for sure. I know, obviously, after the game, I was so gassed and stuff, but um, I did think about it in the change rooms after, and I actually got a bit emotional. I thought, after the year that I've had, been through what I've been through, and to come out of the other end and score at the Emirates, and then to go on and win the game, it was such an amazing feeling, and honestly, it's probably one that I'll never, ever forget. Love that. You were buzzing. You said you were emotional, but Mark looked a bit emotional as well post-match. It's a... It's a hugely significant win. So what was his message post-match in the dressing room? Did he let you just all kind of take it in or was there a, a message for the rest of the season? Yeah, it was a, a bit of both really. Obviously, he was very proud of us for the performance that we put out there. I think um, we deserve to get the three points out of that game so we would have been disappointed if we wouldn't have been able to come back. So to come back in the fashion that we did, it's the United way. It's how we pride ourselves on you know, playing and our togetherness in this team and we just, it's the mentality that we have at this club, we just never ever give in and it showed that we fought to the end. How's the mood been in training today? 
the mood in training, everyone's been gassed. <laughs> Honestly, everyone's buzzing. We've all came in singing and dancing. So yeah, hopefully we'll carry on that momentum for the next one. I guess that's quite a, that's the nice thing of having not a couple of weeks, but about a week and a half now before you're you're into that pre-match feel for the Villa game. Gives you a bit more time to enjoy the buzz before you have to move on. Yeah, for sure. And then obviously all our focus now turns on that another massive game uh, at Old Trafford. So hopefully get a few people, a few fans down to that. Um, so yeah, it's important now that we switch our focus and concentrate on that. The team's had a couple of experiences of being top of the WSL in the last two seasons and then a, quite a long one at the start of this campaign. Does it get easier to manage the pressure and the expectations every time? And does that win at Arsenal especially give you that experience where maybe next time you're playing a, a fellow title challenger, a top three challenger, an experience that yes. you'll use? Yeah, definitely. I think for sure you every experience that you go through as a team and as a club, even though you bring in new players every year, I think it's huge for us as a team to grow. And I think everyone can see it every single year. We've grown bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. And I think it's only there's no real ceiling that we have to reach. We can just keep getting bigger and better. And it's so exciting to be a part of. How much are you enjoying playing, A, just playing again? It must be, you, you mentioned being a bit emotional after the Arsenal game, you just must, must be so proud and excited by it, but also playing alongside a, a new defensive partner as well in Maya, who, who settled in incredibly quickly. Yeah, obviously, to think that you're never going to play football again and then to be able to come back and get as many minutes as I have done, I'm so proud of that and hopefully it continues but Mayo has been unbelievable she's obviously young and she's brought a lot of individual qualities that has really added to the team so it's amazing to have a partnership like that and hopefully it'll just keep growing and growing and getting better and better Okay, Old Trafford I spoke to you for actually for a programme interview not that you'll remember but this was just a week before you found out about your injury back in January during during your absence came the second game at Old Trafford. The first was during COVID without fans in the ground. You missed the second with injury. How much are you relishing this opportunity to, to play at Old Trafford in front of what should be a, a massive crowd? I honestly cannot wait. I think it's going to be unbelievable to have all the fans there, to hear the noise, to walk out there when like there's a full stadium. I think it's going to be incredible and all the girls are so excited for it. Tell me about your, your relationship with United before the women's first team re-began in 2018. What was your relationship with the club? So, I always grew up um, playing for the United Academy. I think I was there for about five years. And unfortunately, there was, at the time, nowhere to go from that. So, we all had to kind of, And we had a very good team, actually. But, um, yeah, we all had to go kind of our separate ways and... Um, go and sign first team contracts at other clubs and so when um, you know Casey gave me that call and I heard that United was reforming a women's team I thought it was a no brainer for me I had to come back to the club that I grew up playing for and I just love it here honestly it's, it feels like home yeah Mark said after the, the game against Arsenal that he wants to sell out Old Trafford it, it shouldn't be on you to have to convince people to come there's no doubt about that but I know there are a few people who are better 
at bigging up their teammates than you are. So <laughs> could you tell our listeners what kind of football and what kind of quality they can expect from the team if they come to watch at Old Trafford? Of course, honestly, it's a theatre of dreams. It's going to be a special, special day. We, I think, are a very exciting team. We want to, you know, get forward, score as many goals as we as we can. We never take our foot off the gas. And it's just such an exciting team to be a part of. And the fans are our 12 man, so we need as many as, as we can there on the weekend. I want to hear all the chants, and I'll join in with all the chants. <laughs> are you... So we, so are you one of those players who listens to the crowd during the game? Because I know some people have to shut it out. And yeah, at points I have to shut it out, obviously, because I have to concentrate. But um, definitely before the game, I'm always listening to chants. I like to sing along with them, so it gets me focused. It gets me dead excited. So I love it when, when I hear the fans chanting. Well, I can't wait for the game on December the 3rd against Villa. What kind of challenge are you expecting from them? I think a big challenge they've started um, the season very very strongly they've got a lot of new players in and they're doing really really well and scoring a lot of goals against big teams so um, it'll be a tough challenge and one that we'll definitely be ready for right well I'm excited I can tell you are. thank you very much for, for talking to us alright nice one thank you right we're back with Adam Millie there spoke about the experiences of the last two seasons the fact that United being top for a couple of quite prolonged periods and including at the start of this one as well has helped the squad progress mentally this win at Arsenal will be another experience to fall back on but the progress overall this season you mentioned City's downfall before but I think we're also seeing a different certainly an improved not different but an improved United team do you think that's mental the tactics or the personnel and you're absolutely allowed to sit on the fence and and say all three I'll probably say it's all three I think (laughs) there's definitely a big mental element probably having those last two seasons of getting a lot better but there's just something about the team this season which feels like a top team whereas in the past it didn't really feel like a top top team it felt like a team you could sometimes get a good result I'll be a bit of a banana skin. United are now a team who no one really wants to face in the league. I think Mark Skinner tactically has got the right mindset into the team. He's got the right style of play. He's got something that really works. There's a lot of hard graft in it. Whereas in the past, I think it was a bit all over the place. It's maybe taken time for Mark Skinner's tactics to really bed in. I think that's been the big thing for the start of the season. That Now it's a not a fresh start as it was last year. They've had time to learn his way of playing. Players getting to know each other more. A few other good additions who've come in and it's succeeded. It's been absolutely brilliant the way United have been playing this season. I've been so impressed by them every single week. You know, even in that Chelsea loss, which I mentioned earlier, they felt like they were a team who were going toe-to-toe with them and causing them loads of trouble. And their pressing was absolutely relentless. I think Alessio Russo has just come into a, a world of her own. They've had some injuries, still been able to cope with them. I think Maya Letizier at the back is you know, one of the best additions. Millie Turner back from injury. Yeah, it's so many things have changed and they are a completely different team. Yeah. And, and having the, because it was a young team right from the start in 2018, naturally those players have got more experience but you're also looking at three players four players in fact who were involved in the Euros winning the summer 
and footballers, both in the men's and the women's game, will always talk, well, successful footballers will always talk about that first taste of silverware. And United did win the second tier, the WSL Championship, but it's not quite the same taste of, of real hard-fought victory, given how much they ran away with that league. But that taste of silverware does give you experiences which you use when you're in the 88th minute and having to scrap for victory away from home in front of 40,000 people. Definitely. I think people who are in the camp always talk about what Serena Wiegmann does with players' mentality and completely changed it. And I think that's rubbed off for a lot of players. Have you seen them go back to the club sides? The likes of you know, Beth Mead before her ACL injury was on absolute fire for Arsenal this season. I think United's players, you can really see it too. Ella Toon has been fantastic. Alessia Russo, when she's been fit, has been playing really well. I guess it's a mix of the winning mentality instilled by Serena Wiegmann and also the confidence that they gained from proving themselves to an entire nation, winning a tournament and now having the mentality of, I can go on and win things. And can United go on and win things? What's your expectation for the rest of the season? Um, I'm not sure on that point. I think United are one of the top teams. It's just, I feel like Arsenal will probably be the ones who have the longevity to go on across the whole season. I think Chelsea have been a little bit underwhelming this year and I can't really see them winning the title. I do see United being in that top three at the end of the season. I don't see City finding a way in um, unless things really change there. I see United going That's, for it and the beard. That is the, that is the, though, I guess, isn't it? Is top three. And we can get carried away with aspirations for the title, but going into the, this season, the aim was to finally break into that top three. It wasn't to win. The, the aim is always to, to win the league, but you know what I mean? Yeah, being in the top three will change the club so much. Having the rumours around players and going to other clubs abroad, it's always the case. It's always the case in the men's game. If you're a Champions League club, they're more likely to stay with you rather than going somewhere else for the Champions League. And likewise, you can get good players from abroad because they want to play in the Champions League. I think if United get to the Champions League, it'll be a, a massive turning point and that'll be as big as winning any trophy on offer, in my opinion. Well, uh, we can keep our fingers crossed. Old Trafford coming up, which will be a great experience. But on the subject of changing the club, we are talking in the rest of this episode, me and Jack, about the, uh, well, no longer rumours, genuine statement from the Glazer ownership about a potential, uh, not, not necessarily takeover, but at, at the minimum external investment, potentially a, a full-on sale. It's completely hypothetical. But what could you see changing with regards to the women's side of the club, were there to be new owners at United? There's obviously been quite a lot of changes to the structure recently anyway, with a new head of women's football coming in in Polly Bancroft and even the attention it's been given and the investment and the move to Carrington. But those are, in the grand scheme of things, those are big steps, but they were more overdue. It was catch up rather than ahead of the game, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I think it was catch up. It got to a point where United was seen as you know, the club who, who on the pitch were doing the right things, but off the pitch maybe weren't. Now it feels like United are doing the the minimum required to be a good team and to, to be at the top. I feel like maybe new owners could bring in fresh ideas. It's always the case that it just gets stale with owners and maybe, you know, new investors might think of new things to use the women's team for. That could be a really big attraction. 
I think long term as well, the ambition for the club should be, and this is what fans say whenever you speak to them, would be a move away from Lee Sports Village. It's a great facility, but it's not in Manchester. And if you ever want to get to it on public transport, it's pretty much impossible. Yeah. And, you know, having most of the games there, either early kickoffs or nighttime kickoffs, reduces its availability to so many fans. I think maybe if there were changes, they could look into either, you know, there have been talks about building a new ground. If a new owner coming in would want to do redevelopment to Old Trafford, right? That's that's the one of the many problems at United which needs fixing the state that the ground's in. I think it could quite easily be a, a double whammy that right here, you fix it Old Trafford, why not also build a new facility around the Trafford area for the women's team, the space there? Yeah, because those, in relatively, those investments in a secondary stadium are incredibly minor compared to the redevelopment of an 80,000, 100,000 seat stadium. You're talking a few, a fairly serious number of millions, but compared to what would likely be in excess of half a billion pounds, it's a it's a drop in the ocean. Yeah, it is. It's the benefits that bring are massive. It's all them where if it's more available for fans to get to the ground, then more people start supporting the women's team, start buying the merch, you start following the team. It becomes more attractive to sponsors. The club in general looks better if you've got a more full ground. You know, if you watch it on Sky Sports and there are a couple of thousand there, it doesn't really have that same feeling as. At least Sports Village, if you get it absolutely packed, it looks good. If it isn't and you've got a full stand behind that it's just got flags on it, it doesn't look as good. I feel like the return on that investment could be very big. Now, I'm I'm not going to say I'm an expert on football finance and what, what the investment could bring, but I feel like when you compare it to the sort of subs of money that are going around in football, the benefits it could bring to the women's team would be massive. It would just be one Glazer dividend. <laughs> to fund that stadium which is amazing to think about the final question I'll ask you before I let you go watch the World Cup no doubt um, you're an Oldham fan the subject of football ownership you've probably had a better experience than most uh, there's plenty of clubs in the northwest who have had some pretty difficult times with with their owners United have can can take our fair share but it's on a it's on a different scale really what do you think if you were giving lessons to United fans about potential takeovers would you have one there are people who want to buy football clubs and it'll happen eventually if a club's up for sale it will happen you will put yourself through an absolutely agonising wait where people are refreshing Twitter every single minute but it will eventually happen. And the big thing is that once it does happen, you need someone who not only cares on the face of it, because I, I, it does feel like there are some owners who portray an image of caring, but there isn't too much caring apart from it just being some, an asset that they own. But somebody who really gets fan involvement in there across all points, you know, that's what they've done at Oldham. And it's become there was so much rot there and they've created a fan experience that really has brought the club as like a commercial entity and the club as what it means to fans really into one together. So United fans, you hold out for something positive. It, it will happen eventually. And when it does happen, put the work in to make sure that it is positive and can stay that way. Very valuable advice. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks, Harry. <laughs> 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, back with Jack now to talk Cristiano Ronaldo. In short, we've spoken about this a little bit before, but it has actually happened. He has left after his second spell. It's, it is sad that it's ended this way. I think the club have done well in how quick they've done it. And it's a massive demonstration of the backing for Ten Hag. And I think that's the, the big significance, isn't it? Oh, 100%. The, my tweet after the, the announcement was just that Ten Hag's authority rightly continues to grow. And yeah. that is, I think, to be honest, we, you know, we touched on this a lot during the Ten Hag review episode last week, but I think that's the biggest takeaway from this season. It's just that Eric Ten Hag is entrenching his authority and his sort of stamp on this club in a, to a degree that I don't think many managers have been able to do, certainly not in the, so since Alex Ferguson's retirement. And this is kind of the latest showing of that. There, def- there definitely was a, a, a path, I think, not not in, in not now because of the way Ten Hag is kind of building his authority. But if this situation happened in a different time with different people involved, I think there is a path where Ronaldo would be maybe sidelined for a few weeks and reintegrated. But I think it's a big show of faith in Ten Hag and an, and an, as well an acknowledgement that Ronaldo isn't key to United's success on the pitch. Yeah. That the club acted so quickly and decisively to to cut ties. We can talk more. Potentially in future, once things have calmed down about genuinely what this does to Ronaldo's long-term reputation as a United legend. And he will be maintained as a United legend, I think. And I think in a few years, when time has passed, we'll remember him for his great achievements on the pitch, especially for the 2008 team. Well, and the few years around that as well. Probably the most talented player and the most effective player and one of the most entertaining players we'll ever see for our club. So I think that's what we'll remember. And we'll remember some great moments from his first season as well. And ultimately, it was amazing to be able to sing Viva Ronaldo about kind of our childhood hero on the Stretford end for his return that we always dreamed would happen, seemed to have gone away and finally happened a little bit too late, but it was fun. And I think, to be honest, I think the biggest thing in all of this is just that the Manchester United that we thought Ronaldo was rejoining And the the sort of place where that team was yeah. fell down within months of him being there. And that, that's not his fault. And it's ended up being that United are in a position where a player like Ronaldo wasn't needed and didn't fit in. And again, that that is nothing to do to do with him. He was sort of unlucky in that that's how the situation panned out. It was at the time, I think, a move that you know we were all so excited for. It brought us some great moments. And it, I am interested, kind of as you mentioned, I'm, I'm interested in how we'll view Ronaldo's United legacy a few months or a few years down the line because there have been players, you know, notably Wayne Rooney, who have gone I was through say Rooney, some yeah. really bad patches in terms of their relationship with the club and how the fans viewed them and have ended up kind of leaving, not leaving on good terms, but because yeah. Ronaldo hasn't necessarily left on good terms, but their legacy has ended in a, in a good way. And so I wonder in a few years how we'll kind of look back on Ronaldo's time at United. Definitely. Next set for United is to sign a striker to replace him. I'm currently watching a World Cup match 
it's been very strange and we can talk more about plenty of other people have spoken about the tournament. I think we have spoken about ourselves. We won't go down that route for now. We will another time. It's It has been nice just to have this much football on. I'm currently watching Spain just dismantle Costa Rica and they're playing some really good proper Spanish football uh, I'm watching out the corner of my eye they're 3-0 up I've missed all three of the goals but I've seen some lovely uh, lovely passing moves from them are you enjoying the World Cup? More, more than I expected I think yeah it's been there's been some really good stories some good games so far I am I am tired of the the coverage of the controversy around it not that I don't think it should be there but I'm it's just I, I'm I, I want to be able to just watch and, and enjoy football but that obviously isn't necessarily possible um, but it, it's been a better first week than I expected. Yeah, I'm l- I'm a lot less excited by it than any other World Cups, and I think we knew that was the case. Even yeah, even with England's match, which was an amazing start. Ah, oh, let's let's focus on something really positive. Yeah. Marcus Rashford, what a moment! Brilliant. I was so so happy for him. Yeah, unbelievably good moment, and it, Rashford deserves that so much. He's obviously yeah. Been through a lot over the last, well, effectively since his last, and he still baffles me that his last England performance was that missed penalty in the Euros final. And yeah. for this then to be his next time in an England shirt. 49 the, seconds of football, effectively 49 yeah. <laughs> seconds of international football since he missed that penalty. Yeah. He scores. It's, that's, it's incredible. For Saka to score moment. as well is great. And he, I mean, Saka is a brilliant player, isn't he? Yeah, very, very, very frust- good. I mean, brilliant for England, very frustrating given he's a, an Arsenal player, but he is a great player um, and, a, and a good start for England. Olivier Giroud, is he the man we should be signing? <laughs> I mean, that would kind of fit the mould of United's past striker signings, wouldn't it? I, that's that's genuine. Of the, last, that isn't, of the last few years. That's not a joke, by the way. I don't think that Giroud is the person we should be signing, but I think we could. <laughs> I think we could do a lot worse than, than signing him. In fairness, but I, I don't think he yeah. is who we should be trying to get. I'm, I, I wasn't saying when I say it's not a joke. I'm not saying I think he's the one we should be <laughs> signing, but I think it, it it genuinely is worth considering. He is a. He the problem is he's not the he's not the perfect yeah. mold for it. Is it? No, is definitely it? not in a in a Ten Hag type team. No, he, I think he has the. He has the technical ability to do it. He's just not mobile enough. And, and I th- that is going to be a big deal, I think, for any striker that Ten Hag wants. I do. I am absolutely finding myself watching every World Cup match thinking, could this striker play for United? <laughs> and Valencia <laughs> well, was the it. first one to, 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 yeah. to spring up. I mean, it, it does feel very United, doesn't it, that we, that we could watch some like early 30s striker for the first time in the World Cup pay... Like double what the price should actually be, and then they'll be, you know, just warming the not even the subs bench, the reserves in you know eighteen months yeah. from now. But you know, there is a, we do need a short term solution there. Hey, I mean, you know, Ivan Tony's price has probably just gone down by about you know That's three or four true. times. So maybe we just take maybe we just pay that and and take the whatever ban he's going to get. <laughs> Absolutely, I can't remember who did you predict as your winners when we when we did our World Cup predictions a couple of episodes ago. Was it Brazil? I had Brazil, yeah. I have to fit. Yeah. So we'll see I was how they do. Say they change that, but we haven't seen them play yet. So, um. well, so the when I did my actual predictions, and by the way, for anyone listening who hasn't seen this on Twitter, we are running a World Cup prediction league, which you should still be able to join. There's a link to that on our on our Twitter Twitter page. And my predictions, I ended up with a, a quarterfinal four of Brazil, Argentina, Spain, and England. And I think Spain, we're obviously watching them now. I, I was surprised how little buzz Spain were getting before the tournament because I know they're, they're lacking a striker, their right back area isn't the best, but 
they've got so much quality all over the pitch. And I honestly think the biggest thing is Luis Enrique is just by far and away the best manager in the team. Yeah. It's because when you see their team, when you see their lineup, it does look underwhelming. Yeah. It's got that strange mix where you think, wow, there's some talent in there, but also that's a bit underwhelming. I don't know how that's the case, but it's certainly true. Um, We better wrap up. Anything else on the World Cup? After, After the first game, how far do you think England are getting? I, I've got them down. You mentioned the predictions. On I've done three different sets of that predictions game on various <laughs> pieces of software. On every scenario, I have England losing to Uruguay in the semi-finals. Okay. And my semi-final four every time has been Argentina, Brazil, England, Uruguay, and Argentina to beat Uruguay in the final, which at least gives me some some pride in my consistency, but. That it's certainly been challenged by Argentina's <laughs> first game, but I do. I think Argentina progress and still still do well, and I think they still have a full chance of winning it. And if anything, yeah. that bruising experience to Saudi Arabia, if they can get through the group as group winners, might help them later on bring the team together. So we'll see. That's a positive way of looking at it for for, for any of our Argentinian <laughs> fans. It just—it feels the 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 football romantic in me. It feels tells me that it's it's too good of a story to see Messi kind of galvanize this team and drag them through the group after that first loss and end up yeah. know, taking a deep yeah. run in the tournament. So yeah. I still have faith. Well, that there have been some great stories, and and we're recording this on the day Japan beat Germany as well, and that was that was pretty amazing too. Uh, let's wrap up. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks to our guests Adam Millington and to Millie Turner. Uh, we'll be back soon enough talking about the World Cup, potentially United Women's match against Aston Villa. There might be lots more news to talk about. There's been plenty already. For Jack's thoughts on anything that breaks and the World Cup and anything else, you can find him on Twitter at at UCD Tate T A I T. And you can find me at HarryRobinson64 on the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. And that's where you want to head. If you want information about how to sign up and how much it costs to be a patron of the podcast and get these episodes ad-free and early release. And with most episodes, you get a bonus Q&A as well. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great week. Goodbye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.